Thank you for tuning in to the Meridian Friends Church podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss any of the sermons posted each week. You can also find more information about our church at www.meridianfriends.org or on Facebook or Instagram by searching Meridian Friends Church. Now, enjoy the sermon. We are welcomed into the arms of majesty. Please turn, if you would, to James chapter 4 and marvel with me at the fact that in spite of ourselves, we are welcomed into the arms of majesty. James chapter 4 addresses our human condition. It's all about arguments. I want to share with you five principles for avoiding arguments in our lives. It's amazing to me that James, the Apostle James, has to talk to the first century church about arguments. Apparently, it was a problem in Jerusalem in the first century, even though they had just witnessed the resurrection of Christ. They're still squabbling, and they're still fighting with each other. Aren't you glad that 2,000 years later, we're over all that? There's no more petty arguments or endless debates going on in the world today. So thankful. Maybe not. Human nature doesn't change. As we're thinking about fights and quarrels and arguments, isn't this the perfect follow-up to a wedding Saturday? <laughs> we're so happy for you too. But I'll tell you what, I don't want to start over. <laughs> so again, we're so happy for you. <laughs> oh my. I will tell you this, Miranda and Tyler, I got to tell them everything yesterday anyway, but here goes. It gets better and better. Keep the Lord at the center of your family, your lives, your marriage, your relationship, and it gets better and better and better. There's a picture up here with these musicians. Uh, you probably know that several of them are family. And as I was listening to them, as musicians, they have to discipline themselves with regard to who comes in when and who sings more loudly or who does percussion at a certain time and so forth. And your church family is up here too, just like you said, a perfect, beautiful blending of that celebrating today. And life is that way for us in our relationships. We need to learn how to mellow out when it's our turn to mellow out. We need to learn to play our part and not assume that we're the whole band, <laughs> but to have the grace to play in harmony with others. And James wants to talk to us about that in chapter four of his book. We just crossed the halfway point of James. James four asks the blunt question, what causes fights and quarrels among you? I wanna invite us to look at that together just very practically. The book of James as we're continuing this series is a picture of what our faith, what we believe about Jesus and the fact that he went to the cross for us, he died for us, he is risen, he's alive. The fact that we believe those essential things now needs to show up in the way we talk, in the way we act, in the way we treat each other in our daily interactions with people. James is a very practical book, really a book of wisdom that talks about day-to-day -day living. And so what more practical thing could he mention than our relationships with one another? Have you noticed that when your relationships are bad, everything's bad? <laughs> it really taints 
the rest of our experience of life if our relationships with each other are not clear, if they're not right, if there's more work that we need to invest. James chapter 4 addresses us where we need to be addressed. Would you stand with me as you're able? And I want to read from God's word. So James, who doesn't pull any punches, says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? <laughs> be reminded he's addressing dear brothers and sisters. <laughs> Don't they come from your desires? I mean, it's somebody else's fault always, isn't it? <laughs> Don't they come from your desires, that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people. Remember, James is addressing us in love. But isn't this true? Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us because he gives us more grace? How do we get grace? Though that's why the scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor, that's the word for grace, to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you that judge your neighbor? And may God show his favor to us as we truly humble ourselves before him with these very humbling words. Amen? Please be seated. I want to share with you one of my favorite parables to frame everything else that I want us to think about with regard to fights and quarrels. It's actually a parable that was offered by Martin Luther, the famous reformer who put the 95 theses on the door. He was also known to sit around the dinner table and share parables and stories and conversations. And he wrote down many of those. Now, actually, many of his works were destroyed intentionally because people didn't like what he had to say. But one volume of this uh, book, Table Talk, was found uh, some years later in Germany. But I want to read this. This is from Martin Luther. I just love the visual of the story, and I want to get this visual in your head. When two goats, is there a visual already? <laughs> Don't look at the person next to you. <laughs> I'll show you my picture. When two goats meet upon a narrow bridge over deep water, 
How do they behave? Neither of them can turn back. Neither can pass the other because the bridge is too narrow. If they should charge one another, they might both fall into the water and be drowned. Nature then has taught them that if the one lays himself down and permits the other to go over him, both remain unhurt. Even so, people should rather endure to be trod upon, Luther writes, than to fall into debate and discord with one another. I love that story. If there's a one-word summary of James' solution to our fights and quarrels that are caused by these desires that wage war within us, I could offer this whole sermon with just one word, and you probably know what it is. It's humility. Wouldn't it be nice if a preacher got up and gave a one-word sermon and just sat down? humility. I think there's only three lessons that we really need to learn in the Christian life. Humility, humility, and humility. If we're going to be followers of someone who came into the earth with the express purpose of dying, I think this word fits. We're going to follow a God who created everything and for eternity existed in the majesty of the worship of angels and all kinds of interesting beings that we read about in the books of the Bible. And all that God's son had ever known was this praise and this honor for him to be willing to put on flesh like a baby and to be born the way Jesus was born, that we celebrated Christmas. And to be born into poverty, and to be misunderstood, to be rejected, to be argued against, and to silently endure the accusations that he endured. To be lied about, to be spit upon, to be beaten, to be stabbed, to bleed, and to die outside of the gates of Jerusalem as a way of saying these criminals have no more country. I think humility is the right word. James, who understands this, you remember James is by blood, but not by, by blood, not by blood, by blood, by blood, Mary. By blood. By blood. Half-brother of Jesus. Sometimes, you know, figuring this out, this whole divinity coming into humanity. Half-brother of Jesus. James knows what happened to Jesus. And I can only imagine his despair in leading the Jerusalem church. So a few years after the resurrection, did you know that James is the first book written in the New Testament? about 40 AD, only 10 years after, less than Jesus' resurrection. To see that there's still discord and argument within the church after experiencing all these things, he offers to us the simple remedy, 
It actually says, don't you know that God opposes the proud, but he gives his strength, his grace, his unmerited favor to those who are humble. What a simple recipe. But wow, isn't this hard to put into daily practice? I think today's message is such an important follow-up to what he had to say in the last chapter about the power of our words. Our words have the power to build up, to bless, to honor. And our words have the power to tear down and to alienate and to shame. And James is saying it shouldn't be the case in the church. As I was thinking about these musicians offering praise, especially after the wedding, I was thinking about how fitting that is to use our gifts and to use our time and our energy and our attention to give praise to God, I think is the highest use of our gifts. I'm so thankful personally for the gift of marriage. You know, marriage's highest purpose is to glorify God. There's nothing quite like a marriage when it works. It demonstrates to the world hope that Jesus Christ is alive and real and makes a difference in people's lives. And there's nothing quite like a marriage that breaks. There's nothing quite like a church that works in all of our differences, in all of our uniqueness and our backgrounds and perspectives when we somehow learn to do what James simply tells us to do and be humble. That's a real witness to the world there isn't a lot of humility going around in the world right now. And if somehow the people who call themselves followers of Jesus, if, if they could be humble like that, people would take notice and say, wow, that works. What have you guys got? And I'll also tell you, there's nothing quite like the church when it doesn't work either. <laughs> when it's broken and in strife and difficulty and can't seem to talk about hard subjects and can't get along with each other. God's plan is that by our love, the world would know that we're Christians. Today's special because your family's here worshiping with this sense of a common purpose, of celebrating, of giving God praise here today in the service. I was also thinking of Kay Rourke. Is she in the other room? I think she is. Oh, she's right over there somewhere. Everybody's pointing. There you are, Kay. <laughs> we have uh, two charter members of Meridian Friends Church sitting right next to each other. Kay and her sister-in-law, Lillian, right there. You realize people who still love the church after 59 years of being with it? I think that's awesome. I think we should reserve the front row for you, by the way, <laughs> so I can find you faster. Yeah, because they don't want the front row is why you're getting the applause, just so you understand that. They still want the first potluck line, but <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I'm thankful for sticking with us. We've been around a long time, and there's a lot of you who've been around with us through the thick and thin and through the changes and so forth, through through the growth. You know, we were 25 when we got here. And the truth is, they won't believe you if you're new, but the truth is, personally, your pastors had a lot of growing to do. 
I know you don't believe that, right? I know you don't believe it. You just thought it was instant. But it's true. And I'm so thankful to grow together with you. I, I'm so thankful for a church that works. In the other room is my grandson. He's nine months old. It's hard to get through a sermon without talking about Brooks, don't you know? <laughs> but his mama's over there. His dad's here helping with the live stream. And his other grandparents are with him. I expect they're holding him at this moment in that fellowship hall. I'm not sure. And I want to say how thankful I am for their marriage. I'm thankful for Craig and Lori and the way that they demonstrate their love for each other and their love for Jesus. Craig does something really cool with his boys. Uh, with his sons and his sons-in-law, including Kyle, they meet every Sunday morning, 8 o'clock our time. And by phone, they do a Bible study together and they pray for each other. You know, there's nothing quite like relationships when they're godly and when they work. And there's nothing quite like relationships when they are ungodly and they don't work. And James puts it in such black and white terms, doesn't he? Don't you know that to be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God? And you and I become enemies of God in our pride, but God gives grace to the humble. Well, that is the whole sermon. <laughs> Humility, period. That's it. I can't add anything to that. But I want to talk about what humility looks like for us practically. And these principles for avoiding arguments come straight from the book of James. How do we do this? <laughs> it's easier said than done, isn't it? humble ourselves in our marriages and in our parenting and in every other aspect of life, committees, churches, offices, you name it. Here are some steps that I think James offers us very practically. If you want to be humble, take, a, take an inventory of what is within. Do you notice how he starts? He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? So around you. Well, don't they start with what is within you? Oh, come on, James. <laughs> I mean, in all of your arguments, you're like 95% right. Am I right? Why focus on what's in here? It's only 5%. When the 95% is out there. Doesn't that make sense? And James says, that's not what humility looks like. Humility starts by taking inventory of what's going on in our own soul. And a good question for you to ask in any relationship where you find conflict, if there's a goat staring you in the face on a narrow bridge, it's actually not to size up the horns of the goat next to you. It's to look at your own desires. What do you really want out of this confrontation? What do you expect good to happen by engaging with this person? Is it worth it? Isn't that a great question? We don't ask that too often. We just feel challenged. You know, I think my horns are sharper. I think I'm a little bit smarter than you are, so I could, I could talk you off the bridge. And we puff ourselves up in pride. Pretty sure that I'm right. Pretty sure that you're wrong. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Well, there it is right there. Don't they come from your desires, that battle inside of your own soul? 
How challenging. So if I'm constantly frustrated with this other gold that's always in my way, James doesn't say, start pointing at the gold. Don't accuse them. Don't pepper them with assault, with your words, etc. Ask yourself, well, isn't the main problem what's living inside of you? You know, the Jesus Christ that is alive in me is willing to be trampled once in a while. The Kent Redford in me doesn't like it at all. Doesn't like to lay down. Doesn't like to have to stop and say, where might I be wrong about this? Doesn't like to say, is it really worth it anyway? I think it's a good step. A little bit of reflection there, isn't there? What are my desires in all of this that are causing conflict? What are my goals? You know, social media has created a whole different environment of people feeling very free to argue with each other. And so often those words don't come across with a lot of grace. I think we do well once in a while just to stop and say, what am I hoping for? How, you know, what do I really think is going to happen if I submit this to the world? It's a good reason to pause, isn't it? How about this? Volunteer to God your need to win. Goats don't like to lose, do they? <laughs> Volunteer your need to win. Notice I'm offering these as steps to avoiding arguments, not steps to avoiding conflict. You will not do well if your goal is to avoid conflict. Conflict is part of life. In fact, we avoid conflict, we create a new set of problems that usually intensifies conflict. I'm not advocating that we be people who never say anything with regard to the truth, with regard to what needs to be said. Look at the example of Christ. He was very willing to call people on the carpet. Some of us are reading through scripture together with an online program and over and over in the last couple of weeks have you noticed, Jesus is really direct. <laughs> with people who have a pride issue. He's just very direct. Did you know Jesus called people broods of vipers? <laughs> I mean, he was just really plain about it. it. It's not about avoiding conflict. For a Christian, a conflict is an opportunity. Do you believe that? Again, it's how we go through conflict that matters. Do we go through it with humility or do we go through it with pride? we go through it with humility, I think we demonstrate to the world the reality of Christ living in us. It's a faith that works. It's a faith that gets outside of ourselves and shows up in our daily lives. Do you trust God to win the battle if you put it in his hands? It's a sincere question. I think the church often is so concerned that we win every argument and that we make sure that everybody in social media land understands that we don't compromise. And so we have to put that out there every chance we get. I'm not so sure that that's always accomplishing the goals that we want them to accomplish. I'm not against apologetics. I think they're very important. But at the same time, I think we need to be humble in the way we proceed, don't you? 
And I find when I lack the eye-to-eye contact with somebody, I don't really know how they're taking what I'm saying. It's, it's just a different environment. Can I surrender to God that God's big enough to take care of this? There are times we need to do that. How about in marriage? I asked Miranda if they'd had a fight yet. I did ask her that this morning. He's smiling. He's giving me... It wasn't a fight. That's what she said. It's not a fight. (laughs) It wasn't a fight. Okay. (laughs) Right? (laughs) He's a good husband. He's a bad doctor. There it is. Okay, there it is. Well, this one's for you. I found this. Uh, It's wonderful. This was printed in something called the Psychological Science Journal. A study reported that the best arguers are those who don't point their fingers. According to the study, the person who says we the most during an argument suggests the best solutions. Researchers from the University of Pennsylvania and the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill used statistical analysis to study 59 couples. Spouses who use second-person pronouns, you, tended toward negativity in interactions. Those making use of first-person pronouns, we, provided positive solutions to problems. The study concluded, we users may have a sense of shared interest that sparks compromise and other ideas helpful to both people. You-sayers, on the contrary, don't they sound terrible when they put it that way? You-sayers tend to criticize, disagree, justify, and otherwise team with negativity. Isn't that simple? If you just want to write on your outline somewhere in big letters, we. I mean, it could be something really useful in your next encounter on a bridge. Hey, we both want to cross the bridge, don't we? (laughs) You know, nobody intends, for example, for a marriage to go south or for any relationship to go south. Often when couples land at my table, they're in tough shape. And I can read that right away (laughs) with the body language and everything else. And more than once, I've invited those couples to hold hands and to say to each other eye to eye, five words, you are not my enemy. And I can't tell you the incredible response that I've often witnessed. I've seen humility come out where there was none before it. Just with that simple reminder, you are not my enemy. Think about it, it's so powerful. Often the goat on the bridge next to you is not your enemy. And that's certainly true. I asked Teresa who she quarrels with the most. I can't remember her answer. (laughs) I am a blessed man, I got to tell you. And it's natural in a marriage, isn't it? Because it's the person you know the best. They know you the best. (laughs) But I'm so thankful for my wife's goodwill. She wants our marriage to thrive. I never have to question that. I'm so thankful. Being humble. 
volunteer to God. And part of volunteering to God means do it his way, right? That's what he said. Do it my way with humility, I'll bless you. How about this? Offer any needed apology or restitution. This is, these are just details. This is humility stuff, isn't it? James says your words are really important. Maybe the most, three most powerful words in the world. I am sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. And restitution. What damage have you done? That you don't just excuse that with your words, but you find ways to rebuild trust. James says, wash your hands and purify your hearts. He's talking about true repentance, of recognizing the way we've been and the way we need to be. Initiate empathy and listening. Isn't it interesting? We would do so much better in our relationships if we spent more time listening and less time talking. <laughs> this fall, we're hosting a fall workshop. It's a Saturday, October 29th. Rocky Follett will be here. Uh, she's trained in the Growing Young Institute. I think that's an institute. Maybe it isn't, but it's a book. And I know they have trained people to uh, go through their materials. Well, she's going to come. And the best thing I've heard from Brocky Follett is, tell me more. When, when someone, and this is with regard to generation gaps. There's conflict everywhere in the world, right? When somebody tells you something that's shocking or surprising or you don't like, try this. Tell me more. It's so disarming. You're supposed to want to headbutt me right now. <laughs> and instead, you say, could you tell me more about that? Why do you think that? Uh, developing empathy, developing listening is such a critical skill. <clears throat> James uh, 4.8, very simply, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This is really all about embodying the gospel, isn't it? about a God who loves us so much that he gave his only son. That's the good news that we want to demonstrate with our attitudes and our conflicts on narrow bridges. That's, that's the mindset that, that we hope comes across to people of demonstrating in the real world, in real situations, I believe in Jesus. I believe his way is right. I'm willing to follow the way that he prescribes and not the way that I think is going to be better. It's about submission and humility. I like this quote from F.B. Meyer. I used to think that God's gifts were on shelves, one above the other, and the taller we grew in Christian character, the more easily we would reach them. I find now that God's gifts are on shelves, one beneath the other. And that is not a question of growing taller, but of stooping lower. And that we have to go down, always down, to get God's best treasures. So we move into a moment of reflection and open worship before our closing song. I think this prayer speaks my heart on this subject. It's a familiar prayer to many of you. It's the prayer of St. Francis. After I offer it, I'm going to invite us just to wait for a moment, non-anxiously. Some people don't like silence. Wait non-anxiously, breathe deeply if you need to. But take a minute to pray and ask God to speak to you from his own word. If this prayer reflects your heart, uh, I know it does mine. Pray with me. 
silently. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there's hatred, let me sow love. Where there's injury, pardon. Where there's doubt, faith. Where there's despair, hope. Where there's darkness, light. Where there's sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in the giving that we receive. And it's in the pardoning that we are pardoned. And it's in dying that we are born to eternal life. In Christ we pray.